Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. J.R.R. Tolkien, got any Tolkien fans out there? Oh my goodness, yeah. Uh, He wrote some beloved classics, you know them, The Hobbit, Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, Return of the King, and in them he introduced us to the world of hobbits. Hobbits, simple folk from the Shire with very large feet and very large appetites. He tells us, That they eat and drink often and heartily, being fond of simple jests at all times, and six meals, what? A day. They include breakfast, 11 C's, lunch, afternoon tea, dinner, and late night snack before bed. That means they eat at 7, 11, 1, 4, 8, and 11 p.m. And they love, one of their favorite foods, we're told, are large rashes of bacon. Bacon, bacon, and more bacon. Do we have anyone among us that loves to eat bacon, bacon, and more bacon? Okay. You are the hobbits among us today. (laughs) Now, it's not bacon, though, that will sustain these hobbits on their very long and arduous journey. It's an elven food known as lembus. We're told in the book that lembus is more strengthening than any food made by men, and that one small bite is enough to fill the stomach of a grown man. So it's food that is of great sustenance. It's filling, it's satisfying, it's nourishing, it's strengthening. And many of us are going to make our way to our favorite places after church today and eat. Filling, satisfying, nourishing, strengthening food. Like a big double cheeseburger and cheese fries and a cake shake at Portillo's. Or lasagna and raviolis, or fettuccine at Olive Garden, or ribs, pulled pork, brisket at Famous Dave's, or a big juicy steak at Longhorn. Or the best chicken sandwich in the world, Chick-fil-A. Nope, closed on Sunday. You my Chick-fil-A. Yeah, me and Kanye were like, but anyway. (laughs) Now the disciples are about to learn a very important lesson about food. And they're going to learn what is truly filling and what is truly satisfying and nourishing and what is truly strengthening. And it's, it's not found in a restaurant. It's not found in your refrigerator or your pantry. It's found in the words of Jesus recorded for us in John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 4. If you're new to our church, I'm pretty much a book study kind of guy. We, we just study the, the, the word of scripture going through books for the most part. And from time to time, we'll do a, a topical series. But for the most part, it's a, it's a book series. So we're working through the book of John, Glory Among Us. And Jesus has just finished a conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well in the town of Sychar, just outside. And um, he tells her straight up at the end of the conversation, I am the Messiah, using I am pointing her to who he really is as God. And she drops the water pot and heads into the city to tell everyone, come see a man. And the disciples are showing up after grocery shopping in town, and this is their response in John chapter 4, verse 31. The disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, what? Eat! But he said to them, I have food to eat 
that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? And Jesus said to them these very important words. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What does Jesus teach them and Jesus teach us? Number one is this, never skip the most important meal of the day. Say that with me. Never skip the most important meal of the day. Now the disciples are like, eat, eat. And they're talking about food in verse 31. And they're talking about food in verse 33. And they're concerned for Jesus. Why? Because they've been traveling a long way. And he's been sitting in the afternoon sun in the heat of the day. And he hasn't had anything to eat that they know of. And we're not even sure he's had anything to drink. And so he's got to be hungry, maybe even a little dehydrated. And, and his response has them wondering if he ate something. Because he says, I have food you don't know about. What is this food? I have food. I have eaten. By the way, this is the third time he's been misunderstood in just the last couple chapters. To Nicodemus, he says, you got to be born again. And he says, well, do I have to climb back in my mother's womb? And to the woman at the well, he says, I have living water. And she's like, oh, I'd like some indoor plumbing too. Uh, that's not what he's talking about. And, and your water's not as good as Jacob's. And, and here to the disciples, I have food. And they're like, who brought him a sandwich? And so, so oftentimes, the spiritual goes right over our heads because all we can think about is the here and now and the physical. Be careful that you and I don't fall into the same trap as the disciples, as Nicodemus, as the lady at the well, being so consumed with everything here and now and not thinking about what is deeper and what is most important. Because it's not the physical that matters most, but the spiritual. And it's not the temporal that matters most. It's what? The eternal. And he says, I have food. I have food. And they're thinking, well, did he have some bread or did he have some parched corn or stew or somebody bring him some grilled fish? What has Jesus been asking? That is the question. Or what has Jesus been eating? That's the question. And what has satisfied his hunger? That's the question. And what has Jesus been doing? That's the question. Well, we know he's sitting by a well in the afternoon sun talking to a total stranger. And she's an outcast. She's a very immoral woman. And she's a Samaritan. But what has he been doing? He's been talking to her about eternal life. And he's been talking to her about the sin of the past. And he's been talking to her about what is true worship. And he's been talking to her about his identity. I'm the Messiah. I'm the great I am. I'm the deliverer is what he says. And so better than physical food is spiritual nourishment. And better than putting something physical in my mouth is putting something spiritual into the life of another soul. Better than eating is me feeding someone. Better than me satisfying myself and yourself physically is us being used of God to satisfy and help somebody spiritually. And I want you to understand the spiritual conversation that he's having is not with friends or family members. 
with a total stranger who doesn't even know his name. It's a lady that nobody likes. She's an outcast of society and she's very different. Sometimes the most satisfying things in life are to be spiritual conversations with people who are not your friends, who are not your family, who are complete strangers, outcasts in this life that nobody even cares about, sinful people. And what happens? You get to talk to them about who Jesus is and about sin and what he did for sin and about eternal life and about what it is to know this God and to worship this God. See, I want you to understand, better than a reservation at a restaurant is a divine appointment from God. Better than a reservation at a restaurant is a divine appointment from God. God appointments are soul food, is what they are. God appointments are soul satisfying. There is nothing quite like seeing the sovereign creator, all-powerful God of the universe lining you up to have a conversation with another person, maybe somebody you've never met, and to have a spiritual conversation. There's nothing like that. He's saying, that's what's soul satisfying. It's not what I put in my mouth. It's what God enables me to put into the life of another person. And so Jesus tells them straight up, I have food. I have food you don't know about. This is what satisfies me. This is what fills me up. This is soul food. And so Jesus gives soul food five stars on Yelp. And he says, this is where you need to eat and nothing tastes better and nothing is more satisfying. So eat at this place every single day. You say, well, what should I order? He tells us. It's a two-course meal. Look what he says. Verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He said, you want something that really satisfies your life? It's not going to come from the physical. It comes from this two-course meal to do God's will and to do God's work. And decide in your life that you are now going to live a life of satisfaction that is not going to be found in this world because the physical will never satisfy that you are going to seek satisfaction in what Jesus says you will find satisfaction in. The will of God and the work of God. Course number one, do God's will. And that's why Jesus was sent from heaven. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. We, we know Jesus was, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We, we know he's come to die for our sins and save us from our sins and purchase our salvation. That is the gospel message. Jesus was sent for you. He was sent to save you. He was sent to forgive you of your sins, but you must receive that gift. And if you're here today and you've not received that gift, that's where it starts. Saying, Jesus, thank you. You are God who became a man who died on the cross for my sins. Thank you for loving me that much. Will you please forgive me and save me? That's why he came. He came for you. God's will also needs to be my food. 
It needs to be your food. It needs to be our daily bread, so to speak. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. So right off the bat, it's not my will for my life that is going to satisfy me. It's not someone else's will saying that you should do this that's going to satisfy. It's not what the world says we should be doing. It's God's will. So we need to get to the point where we can proclaim along with the psalmist in Psalm 40 verse 8. Say it with me. I delight to do your will. Oh my God. Nothing more satisfying than the will of God. And the psalmist knows that I just need to do your will because that's what life is really all about. By the way, that's what Jesus taught us when it came to prayer. Matthew 6. Pray this way. Your kingdom come. Say it with me. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I need to start delighting in the will of God and I need to start praying for the will of God. Not seeking what I want, not seeking what you want, but but really seeking sincerely what God wants for my life. You may say, well, how do I know? How do I know what is God's will for my life? You look at the menu. What's the menu? The word of God. You can't know the will of God outside of the word of God. You must know scripture. You must read scripture. You must study your Bible. You you can't know God's will apart from the word of God. That's why the psalmist also will add in Psalm 48, I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is what? Within my heart. And so he's hiding the word of God in his heart. That's where you know the will of God. So please understand, it's not about thinking I know the will of God or feeling like this is God's will. Pick up the Bible. Read scripture. And it's not about, well, I prayed about this first. I prayed about it. That's like leaving God a bunch of voicemails and never listening to his return messages. So it's not about how you feel or how you think or that you even prayed about it. But it's about picking up the menu and talking to God and listening to his word. Now, you may say, well, God's word doesn't speak to everything. Maybe in the details of every specific thing it does not, but the principles are there. And God's truth covers everything in this world and everything in life pertaining to life and godliness, we're told in scripture. So so God's word does satisfy and does teach. But God also gets very specific when it comes to knowing his will. Very specific on some things. For instance, 1 Thessalonians 4.3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Pretty clear. So sleeping with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, or sex before marriage, outside of marriage, or not man and not man and woman. God makes it real clear. Sexual immorality is never his will. It's just not. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is what? God's will. So, so I, I know I should be rejoicing no matter what happens in this life. I, I can trust God. He's going to work it for good. And, and pray without ceasing. Continually talk to God like breathing all day long every day. That's God's will. And to give thanks in everything. God's sovereign. He's in control. It's going to be okay. It's going to work out. 1 Peter 2, 13 and 15. 
This is God's will. You'll love this one. Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake to every human institution, for such is the will of God. We who live in the state of Illinois are supposed to submit to the government. And everybody said, God's will is submission. The only time, Acts 5.29, that you don't submit to the government is when they oppose the will of the word of God. We must obey God rather than men, is what the apostles told the governing authorities. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 3, first of all, I urge and entreaties and prayers, petitions, thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. Verse 3, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God. This is God's will. That what? Sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We know that's God's will, that we pray for everybody, including our leaders. And that we pray for people, all people, to come to know Jesus Christ. And again, what is not clear specifically is revealed in God's word through principles. Pertaining to life and godliness, everything is in there. So that's course one. Course one, I need to do God's will. So what is there in your life that you know to be God's will that you haven't been doing? That's where you start. God, I need to do your will. I need to commit to this. I need to pray for it. I need to do it. I need to delight in it. There's a second course not only do the will of him who sent me, but to accomplish his work. Again, Jesus did this. He accomplished the work of God, and on the cross in John 19, 30, he cried out what? It is finished. And the payment for my sins was made. And the payment for your sins was made. It was finished. He accomplished the work. We, we need to seek to accomplish God's work in our own lives. Whatever that work is, to follow it through, start to finish, complete whatever he gives for us to do. Don't quit in the middle. Don't stop when it gets hard. Follow it through. Well, you may say, well, I don't understand. Where do I start when it comes to the work of God and really working for God? Well, let me give you some verses. I think we can start with a sensitivity to the work of God. In Ephesians 2.10, He says, you and I are his workmanship. You and I have been created by God. We're his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Which God actually prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. And so there needs to be a sensitivity that there are good works for me to do today and there are good works for you to do today and there are things that God wants us to do every single day and so we go to work for God. God, what's your work today for me to do? And to be sensitive to that. We're we're sensitive when our stomachs growl, aren't we? Man, I'm getting hungry. I need to eat. Especially when I was reading through all those restaurants, some of you are thinking, don't do this, Pastor Scott. I'm hungry. All kinds of bacon and all kinds. Maybe what we need to do is every time our, our stomachs growl, we need to think work of God. Every time my stomach growls, I need to think, I need to hunger for the work of God. Because that's what's really going to fulfill me. What does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? Maybe we need to understand that you and I are very important to one another. Ephesians 4.12, 4.11 starting. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Why? for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. 
until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And so I want you to understand, you and I are needed for one another and pastors and teachers are not supposed to do all the work of God. Who's supposed to do it? You are. According to that verse, look at it. The equipping of the saints for the work of service. So a pastor's job, the pastors on staff here and the teachers on staff here are to equip you to serve the Lord and to the work of God in all kinds of different capacities. Why? What does it do? It builds up the body, he says, and it attains unity and it helps with the knowledge of the son and grows us into maturity is what it does. And so people who don't want to serve, they don't mature People who are not serving, they don't help unify a church. People that are not serving are just focused on themselves. And so I would encourage you to understand the importance. God has you in this church for a reason. And it's not just to come and listen and then leave. It's to realize, no, you're a part of the body of Christ. You need to be used of God to build up the body of Christ. And you may say, well, how do I do that? I wouldn't even know where to start. Great place to start is to know your spiritual gift. And in 1 Peter 4.10 says this, as each one has received a special gift employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so when you and I came to faith in Jesus, we were gifted by the Holy Spirit with, this, with at least this one spiritual gift. There's three or four passages in scripture that, that list them out. So you are an important part. And there's other passages that talk about everybody's not an eye, everybody's not a foot, everybody's not an ear. We're all different things. And so the body comes together and a healthy body has all of the parts. And so we function together. And so you need to know what your function is. You need to know what your spiritual gift is and use it to edify and build up the body of Christ. We have a spiritual gift survey. You may say, I don't know what my gift is. Here, here's a website. You go to our website at harvest.church serve and we have a spiritual gift survey you can take online. We'll take you 15 minutes or so, 10, 15 minutes and just fill it out and, and think through, and it just helps guide the process of understanding who you are in the eyes of God and how God has gifted you. So, so go ahead online, it's free, and, and make sure you take that. That's a good step in understanding doing the work of God and finding fulfillment. So we have this two-course meal. Do God's will, accomplish God's work. And I don't know about you, but when I don't eat well or I don't eat right, I feel weak, I feel sick. And I think oftentimes there's a lot of Christians that grow weak and they're malnourished in this life. And sometimes the world keeps tempting us with all the sweets. You know, if you eat this and you eat this and you do this and you do this and just live it up in the selfish sweets of the world. You know what happens when you eat a lot of sweets, you feel sick. What you need is something solid. And there's nothing more solid than doing God's will and doing God's work.
And that's what we need to feast on. So Jesus teaches us first to, to never skip the most important meal of the day, which is two courses, his will and his work. And the next thing he teaches is start eating, keep eating, and never stop eating. Be a hobbit, but spiritually speaking. Now, now look what happens. John chapter 4, now we go to verse 35 through 38. He's talking to the disciples and he says, Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for, for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you've not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And so you know what Jesus says here? Come and get it. So he's ringing the triangle, call everyone to dinner, food is ready, food is hot. You know what it's like, my wife does that. Dinner's ready. You better come, anyway. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. Guys, it's ready. He's saying the time is now, there's no need to wait. There are yet four months and then comes the harvest. See, this is not like ordinary farming. Ordinary farmers, they plant, sow the seed, and then they wait. And they wait, and they wait months. Spiritual farming, you can sow the seed and you can harvest the same day. That's how powerful. It doesn't always happen that way, but it can happen. You can sow the seed and harvest in the exact same day. And then he says, look at the harvest. Lift up your eyes. Look in the fields. They're white for harvest. And he says, start seeing souls. Start seeing people everywhere. Start seeing the hopeless of this world. Everywhere you turn, there are people that are hopeless in this world. And no doubt, the disciples walked right past many of them when they went grocery shopping in town. No doubt, they looked right past a lot of lost souls. Why? they're Samaritans they're different than me they're not like me why would they look past them well they're beyond reaching and they'll never listen anyway we make all of these excuses stop making excuses for looking past people we look past every single day well they're not going to listen and someone else will talk to them and blah 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 and Jesus is saying, would you stop and would you look? Look at all of the people around you whose lives are falling apart, who are chasing after the wind, and they need a relationship with God. They're wasting their lives. They're ruining their lives, and they need God. And he says, would you look? Would you look at the people around you? He says, look on the fields, and maybe at this time he's motioning to all the grain in the nearby fields, the crops that are growing, and then he says, they're white for harvest, and many people believe it's at this point that Jesus is now pointing out the people who more than likely would be dressed in light-colored clothing and white clothing, 
who are coming out of the town of Sychar, contrasted with the green fields of the day, who have listened to the testimony of the woman in John 4, 28 through 30. The woman left the water pot, goes into the city, says to the men of the city, come see a man who told me all things I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? And they, were, and they went out of the city and were coming to him. And so Jesus is saying to the disciples, would you just look at the fields? Would you look at them? They're white for harvest. They're coming to you all over the place. So he says, come and get it. And then he says, reap and gather. Look at verse 36. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. This is primarily, contextually, the work and the will of God that Jesus is talking about. The importance of harvesting lost souls. Nothing is more important and nothing will be more satisfying. Conversations with lost people and seeing lost people come to faith. That's the will of God and that's the work of God and the reaping and the gathering of souls Reapers are at work now, he says, those leading people to salvation. And then he says they're receiving wages. There's payment. Eternal rewards. 1 Corinthians 3.8 says, He who plants and he who waters are one, but, the, but each one will receive his what? His own reward. According to his own labor. And so God promises rewards for faithful workers. So the question is, Will you be a faithful worker? Because God has a lot of lazy workers. God has a lot of fearful workers. I'm sorry, but God has a lot of selfish workers who just want to fill up on the physical things of this world. And they're looking right past souls. And they're looking right past all the people who don't know Jesus and desperately need him. So he says, will you be a faithful worker? He says, the reapers here and now, there's, or there's rewards here and now too. There's joy, there's satisfaction. Seeing a soul saved, there's, there's just nothing like it. And then he says, he says, they're reaping and they're receiving wages. They're gathering fruit. Verse 36, and gathering fruit for eternal life. And, and gathering, in order to gather fruit, to gather a harvest, a farmer can't sit at home. He's got to go into the field. I mean, that's why we read in Matthew chapter 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You've got to go. You have to just talk to people and go into the field and pick the fruit and go into the field and harvest what's ripened and go into the fields of this world. You will be going into the fields when you leave this place. You will be going into the fields when you go to work tomorrow. You will be going into the fields when you go to school tomorrow. You, you will be going into, we go into the fields of this world every single day. So let's start gathering the fruit that is out there and seeing where God is working. He says, gather fruit for eternal life. It's all about eternal life. This is one reason why I share the gospel every single service. Because in God's sovereignty, 
He has people here today among us and you've not received Jesus as your savior. And there's no mistake why you're here today. Because God in his sovereignty brought you here to hear how much he loves you and that he will forgive you of every sin you've ever committed. And now you have hope that you've never had before because there is a God who knows you and he loves you and he wants to forgive you. And so at the end of every service, I lead in a prayer. It's not a prayer that saves you. It's calling out to God in faith and asking him, and repenting of your sin. I, I, got a, I got a text from a man last week. And this is what it said, and I'll abbreviate it. He writes, August 2006. I'd never really been a church person. He came here, there was a weight of grief had set in, and I began feeling a void. I realized there was something significantly significant missing from my life. Shortly after this time, I went to harvest. After the message, I surrendered my life to Jesus. I prayed quietly as you led the church in a prayer of salvation. It was at that moment I felt free for the first time, free to trust the goodness of God. That's why we're here. That's why God has placed this church out in the middle of nowhere, to harvest souls for the kingdom of God. That's why we're here. And many among us, you've come to faith through counseling ministries in a classroom and in the service, different ways, maybe a Bible study. God uses all kinds of circumstances and people. And, and I love the name of our church, Harvest. That's what he wants us to do. Now, receiving wages, gathering fruit, and then we learn something. We learn that sometimes we sow and sometimes we reap, but always we rejoice. Look at verse 36. So that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. So sometimes we plant seeds. We just talk to people about the Lord. I, I did this Friday night. I, I went down to Roadrunner Sports in Naperville. And it was around 5.30 at night. And I was talking to a guy named Gabriel. A young guy, really helpful there. And uh, as soon as he told me my, his name, I went, Gabriel. And then I thought... There's nobody else in the store right now, Gabriel. You my, you my woman at the well. <laughs> That's who you are. And so I told him, I said, you want to know what Gabriel means? Because I got my phone out, looked it up. I couldn't remember. <laughs> God is my strength. And so that was my introduction to him, just to talk to him about his name and talk to him about what his name means. That God will be your strength. And have you ever received the Lord as your savior? And what's your religious background? And you know, my parents just let me believe what I want. And so I, I just planted seeds. Did I lead them to the Lord that night? No. But I rejoice that I planted seeds. Last Sunday, I told you about a guy named Ozzy at Suburban Tire here in Oswego, agnostic. I was just planting seeds with Ozzy. Just getting to know him. Planting seeds about how much the Lord loved him. I want you to understand, it's never a waste of time to plant seeds. Don't you ever see planting seeds as failure? Plant seeds, plant seeds. You don't have to lead somebody to the Lord right on the spot. Just plant those seeds. But sometimes we do lead people to the Lord. And that's the next part. He says, he who sows and he who reaps. Sometimes there's the joy and privilege of praying with someone. 
And I told you about my, my run with Kurt before, a man who comes to our church, and I was running with him, and we did a 10-mile run, and we got back to the parking lot, and I'd witnessed to him for 10 miles, and I'd witnessed to him many runs before that, and I asked him, Sawiki, along the Fox River, would you like to receive Jesus? And he said, yes, I would. And so sometimes we reap. Sometimes we sow. But all the times we rejoice. And he says here, may you, re you rejoice together. And so I want you to understand the joy there is in telling people about Jesus and the joy there is in leading somebody to Jesus. And by the way, all heaven rejoices. Luke 15, 7, I tell you that in the same way that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. He says there's joy in heaven is what there is. And so receiving wages, gathering fruits, sowing, reaping, rejoicing, it's all teamwork for the glory of God. Look at verse 37 and 38. For in this case, the saying's true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you've not labored. Others have labored and have entered into, you've entered into their labor. So everyone just does their part. And sometimes our part is just sharing the gospel and sowing seeds. And other times it's reaping souls. What's really neat is to be encouraged, we're not alone. You're not alone. I, I know when I shared the gospel with Gabriel the other night, there'll be some other Christians come alongside. There's going to be other believers, and there's going to be somebody down the road, Lord willing, that is going to lead him in a prayer of salvation, and he's going to come to faith. So you, you pray for Ozzy, and you pray for Gabriel. And I want you to understand there's no competition. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I planted... Apollos watered, God was causing the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. There's no pride. God's the one who causes the growth. He who plants, he who waters are one. We're team. Each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are God's what? Fellow workers. So different work at different times. Sometimes we reap where we haven't labored. Sometimes you hardly say anything and the person's like, I need Jesus, would you lead me in prayer? <laughs> okay, not much labor there, but you get the reap. And other times you're just sowing seeds, sowing seeds, sowing seeds. And I believe someone was sowing seeds with all these Samaritans coming out of the city. Maybe they had heard John the Baptist preach. Maybe some of John's followers. We know the woman at the well had gone into town and was testifying and they were believing her word. And so others were doing the work, and then Jesus is leading them to himself. And sometimes we labor and others enter in. Pray, 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 sow seeds, share for years. And people enter into that work, and they get to lead them to the Lord. And that's fine as well. Can I tell you something? My, my mom may be listening now. Hi, Mom. She watches down in Florida. You need to go to a church down there. I know you're watching. I've been witnessing to my mom for over 30 years talking to her about Jesus, and I am still waiting for you to trust Jesus, and I love you, and my prayer is if I don't get to pray with you, someone will, and I've told her that before, and she's going to call me today, <laughs> I love you anyway, <laughs> anyway, that's soul food, that's soul food, what is soul food, number one, never skip the most important meal of the day. What is it? You do God's will, and you accomplish God's work. And be a hobbit, spiritually speaking. Just start eating and keep eating, and what? Never stop eating. You just lift your eyes, and you look on those fields, because why? 
They're ripe for harvest. You just sow, you reap, and let's rejoice together. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit at harvest.church.